I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right. This is The Big Douglas Show. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Big Poom is on the show today. And our guest, the head basketball coach for NC Central, Lavelle Moten. Lavelle, thank you for joining us today. Man, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Truly honored. Absolutely. Pooh is a uh, proud NC Central alum, so I know he's excited about this. Pooh, if I recall right, not only would there be no little brother without NC Central, but you were on your way to become uh, an adjudicator, a teacher. Is that right? I was. I was. I was definitely on my way to becoming a teacher. Um, I, I actually got the substitute and uh, practice a little bit, and I decided um, I definitely didn't want to do that anymore uh, in that fashion. Um, I'm still teaching in a way, but just not in, in, in the fashion I thought I was going to. Yeah. And, and coach, you played at NC Central and then came back for the coaching gig. What were you studying while you were there other than how to get to the league? Uh, uh, I majored in uh, recreation administration. I wanted to you know, be the, become a program director of a boys club because my mentor, Ron Williams, um, he the one who raised myself and John Wall and PJ Tucker, all of us at the boys club, right? And so I had, I, I looked at him in such high regard. I said, that's what I wanted to do. And he went to Central, like, I think he graduated in 72. So I just wanted to follow his footsteps. So that was my thing. And then um, later on, I went back and got a master's in uh, special education. Coach, a lot of people don't know. I mean, you used to fill up the buckets when you were in school, but what, what led you to becoming or wanting to become a coach? Because a lot of players can play, but they don't necessarily want to, to go on to that other side and sit on that bench in a suit. So what, what led you to, to coaching? Man, you know what? I always say coaching chose me. I ain't choose it. You know, my goal, and Pooh, you, you probably kind of know this too, that, man, I was just going to hoop till I was 45 and retire. Like, that was going to be my plan. And, and you know, after Central, I went overseas and played for seven years. Um, and I was still kind of chasing a dream because at the time I was CIAA player of the year over Ben Wallace, right? And so me and Ben came out together and he went on and did his thing. And so we was kind of taking the same route, but it didn't work that same way for me. And, you know, I would just remember being in a, a gym at St. Aug in a, in a summer league and my mentor, Darren Robinson, came up to me. He's like, man, there's a job availability at this middle school if you want to go check it out i just went and looked at it out of respect for him because i ain't had a heart to tell him no when i get there the principal is my seventh grade teacher who's my favorite teacher of all time i didn't even know that right and so i'm like oh my goodness so she was like a lot of people don't even know this story she said i think you'll do well with the kids and um you know, we got to have you. And I was like, well, how much does it pay? It was a middle school coaching position for $225 a month. So for three months, I was going to get $675 a year. The same week, my former college coach, Greg Jackson, he's at Delaware State now, he calls me and offered me a job for $85,000 to come be the assistant coach. So I got to let them both know an uh, answer that week. I go home and I pray about it and I select a middle school job. Right. So I, I chose a six hundred and seventy five dollar a year job over eighty five thousand dollar a year job. So everybody thought I was crazy. 
two weeks, well, probably two weeks, three weeks later, she said, these kids love you so much. Will you consider teaching? I was like, teaching? Like, I don't know nothing about no teaching. You know, she's like, no, it's really easy. Like, we got this curriculum. You just kind of follow it and so on and so forth. And I did that for three years. Then a similar situation happened. My, my former French teacher, who was now the principal at Sanderson High School, asked me to come be the coach at Sanderson High School because I had I, I received a lot of no's prior to that. I went to Sanderson. We won like two championships in three years there. And then North Carolina Central called and asked me to come back. And I declined North Carolina Central like three times. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going up there because I didn't like the business of it. You know, I just love the purity and touching and impacting the kids' lives. Once you get on our level, it's, it's just straight business. And that takes the innocence out the game. And I wasn't ready for that. And then a couple of alums called to say, man, you need to come back um, and help us during this transition from D2 to D1. And the rest is history. Coach, I'm, I'm curious when, is it more, you put more work in, you talked about the business side, more work in this time of year, recruiting, and all of that, or actually the X's and O's during the basketball season? It never stops. Like, it's always, you know, Pooh, I guess I, I would say it's kind of similar to you writing, right? It never stops. Your mind is always going. Even when you may take a vacation, you may go to the beach or the Poconos or somewhere, but Laying at night, you still up because you're thinking of a rhyme. You, you've seen something that inspired you earlier that day. So your mind never really rests. It's always working on something. So this time of year, we're recruiting. Um, we're, we're going to all these showcase AAU tournaments and chasing kids. But still, we're managing our current team. And that's difficult within itself because you got to get back on campus and now they're just not coming in for summer school and you got to make sure your current team is in place. The most important team is the one that you currently have, not the one that you're trying to go get. And so I had to kind of learn that I put so much into recruiting that oftentimes I forgot about how valuable my current team was. So I learned that lesson throughout the years. So it never changes and, and it's always something to be done. And so I think we put the same amount of work ethic and everything because it's always Paddle to the metal for it, you know? And coach, I hadn't really realized it until I saw you mention on Twitter the other day, but uh, because it's a smaller school, this, the staff is much smaller, which means you guys have a whole lot more work to do than say a power five conference. Yes, sir. Like if you, if you watch a power five game, whenever they call a timeout, a coach call a timeout and they walk on the floor, watch how many people are in polo shirts or suits that they have around them. Like there might be 10 people just in staff. We may have four or five, right? And so, you know, one thing that I had to learn how to do because I was so accustomed to doing everything myself, right? Because again, I started as a middle school basketball coach. So I ain't have no staff. I swept the floor, I drove the butt, I did everything. So when I got to college, it was difficult for me to learn how to delegate, right? And, and, and assign these responsibilities to people and say, man, I don't need nobody for that because I do that. But then my wife was like, no, you do need someone for that. You need to sit down and be the CEO of it. You can't be the CEO like Bill Gates ain't fixing the computers. The colonel ain't out there making the chicken. And I like it's, it's, it's different pieces to us. So I had to really learn how to delegate, but a lot of it does come with money and revenue because the more money you have, the more staff that you are able to, you know, uh, 
recruit to kind of help you along the way and, and lighten your load. Coach, can you talk about how difficult it was this past year coaching during Corona? I know your team in particular, y'all didn't have many, <laughs> many at all practice days. Um, you know, the games were like your practices a lot of times. So can you just go through like how just that period was for you and your team this, this past season? You know what? It's that, it's, it's, it's that, it's that adage that Mike Tyson once said, like, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right? <laughs> then that plan goes straight out the window. You know, COVID was like, unlike anything that we had ever seen, anyone in the world, because, you know, there's always a remedy that you can receive suggestions from. Like, if you got a headache and you're like, damn, my head pounding me, your mom or grandmother would say, well, take two of these and blah, blah, blah. And then go, if your stomach hurt, go drink some ginger ale and some Pepto. There was nothing on earth that we hadn't seen before that someone else hadn't seen. But now here comes COVID and there's no advice to receive. So everyone's trying to strategically implement this game plan to deal with COVID. And what they don't know is the effects and the impact of it. We were hit more than anyone in NCAA basketball, we had like five different times that we were hit and we were each time was 14 days. So we were out 60 days. We only practiced 13 times as a team. And so it was really difficult, man, because a lot of times, even in some of the games we we're playing, we're just taking the guys. You, you see what's happening to Chris Paul right now. Like he may not have it. He just probably been around someone who had it. And that was the trickle effects that people really didn't know that was associated with it. So we were just taking sometimes whoever was available to the game. And so I, I didn't have a big man sometimes. So I was playing my small forward at, at the five and it was just all over the place. And it was kind of embarrassing because now you we've produced a standard throughout the years in the average casual basketball fan. We're on TV 13 times last year. So they look and saying, man, let me see what North Carolina Central about. And they seeing us out there with eight players and we we out of shape. Nobody's in shape. It was a mess. I would have canceled the season pool, but I had like seven seniors. And I said, man, y'all got to get through this because, you know, life is about memories. And I, I'm not sure I can bring you back and clog up the space of these younger kids that got to come and develop. So I'm going to just let's grin and bear it and let's just get through this so we can provide you with some sort of memories in your college experience. And, you know, we I, hats off to those kids, man, because they fought, they never complained. And it was, it was, it was the most difficult coaching year of my basketball life ever. Mm. Coach, you're watching first take and Stephen A. Smith recommends you for the UNC job. And I got to imagine immediately, every device you have starts blowing up. I'm curious how you, you temper that, you know, with your, your, your players who I'm sure watch and, and get nervous, excited. I don't know. And family the same way. Curious how you go through that and kind of keep everybody from going overboard. Yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of impossible, Doug, honestly, to channel the emotions. Right. because Now in this day and age, you know, we come from a generation where, once we received the news personally, then we broke the news to our loved ones and friends or teams or whoever, right? So there was a chain of command and a tier of communication. 
nowadays, that's out the window with social media, right? So you can't hide it because everyone has Twitter. And sometimes they're searching your name and they're seeing your name across their timeline faster than you realize your name was even on someone's timeline. So I wasn't actually watching first take when Stephen A said it. It was just my phone started blowing up. And I was like, what in the world? I was like, man, you going to Carolina? I was like, what y'all talking about? It's like Stephen A. And so I had to go back at and look at the clip and, and contextualize what was actually happening. I think my team is accustomed to my name being associated with jobs. That's part of the business when you're somewhat successful. It's like, you know, is he going to go here? He going to go there. He going to do this. He going to do that. And everyone else has Twitter handles and social media handles where they projecting you to go here, there, there. So your name becomes this whirlwind and sometimes as chaotic and hectic as it may seem to my team, they've seen it enough where they like, oh, that's just, you know, whatever, because they know I will bring it to them if it's a strong consideration. You know, I had a couple of NBA opportunities and I told them, I was like, look, I'm considering this one now. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just being honest with you and so on and so forth. And they respected it. But I've had some kids where when they signed to North Carolina Central, their parents sitting in the living room said, just promise us that you'll be with him four years. And I was like, oh man. So I've made that promise a couple of times too. So some of the kids don't even worry because they're like, I don't care what they say. He promised me and my mom on the couch that, you know, he was going to rock with me and stay with me for four years. So it's an element of that too. I just want to let you know, coach, I get nervous as well. <laughs> See your name brought up. It's one of the things where you, 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 it's, it's bittersweet. It's like it's good because that means you're being successful or you're successful at what you're doing for your name to get brought up in that way. But then it's like, hold on. But then what happens to our success if he leaves? Uh, yeah. So um, but I, I wanted to ask you about recruiting. It's a dirty game out there. Um, I, I, I know I have a few uh, friends who kids are playing D1 or D2 uh, football. And, and they've told me war stories about the recruiting trail. Um, when, when you're going to talk to those kids, when you're going to sit in those living rooms and talk to those parents, like, and you, like you say, you make those promises and, and you know, you, you make those guarantees or, or, or the things that you say to them. And then those opportunities do appear, the ones you consider. Like, how do you, how do you like, reconcile what you told a parent and their kids versus what you believe is best for you and your family? I always tell them, you know, from day one, when I walk into their living rooms, I just try to be who I try to be me. Right. So many people try to make a pitch when they're walking into someone's home, when you're dealing with someone's family and their children, you don't want to pitch anything. You just want to be as real as you can possibly be. Because at the end of the day, when you walk out that door, it's going to be what it's going to be, right? And so I'm completely honest, probably to a fault, right? Because I seen, I don't know, man. I just come, I think a lot of it is part of your upbringing. Like I come from the project, so I could never walk up to a girl if I was interested in her in high school and be like, yo, I got this, 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 this. I ain't have nothing but my talk game and my personality. 
baby, either you accept this or you don't. It's cool. You know what I'm saying? And so I learned just to be real. And if she rejected it, then she just wasn't the one for me at that time. That's how I look at recruits. Like, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent. This is how we do it. This is how we get down. Don't come here if you don't want to be held accountable every single day. You're going to go to class. If you miss a class, the whole entire team going to be. We go through the whole thing. And so now once we lay it out, once you come here and if you don't like the way something goes, then that's your fault because no kid can ever say Coach Moten ever lied to me. No parent can ever say that. Right. And so I'm always open and honest with them. I tell the parents, look, I have three assistant coaches, so I don't need you calling me about nothing pertaining basketball, right? <laughs> this ain't AAU where you gonna call and try to tell me we not. We'll talk about academics and his social welfare 24 hours if you want to, but we're not gonna talk about basketball. I tell the parents that, right? Sometimes that probably has been a fault and it's probably hurt me in recruiting, but I'd rather to be honest on the, sh the front end of it then deal with something and make myself uncomfortable and compromise the values of my program on the back end of it. And where I was from, I was taught that truth builds trust. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So as long as you're truthful with someone, they'll always trust you. I don't promise anyone they start, right? So because nobody ever promised me any that I was going to start. So I'm not going to promise you neither. And so now my seniors in the program, when I bring in a hot shot freshman, my seniors already know Coach ain't promised me I was going to start, so I know he ain't telling this dude that he going to start. So it, 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 it allows you to create this right here. Whether they like it or not, they respect you because you've been up front and you provided them with the truth. Coach, I know for football, the HBCUs have teamed up. I believe it's the Reese's Senior Bowl to help guys get uh, drafted and, and get their names out there. Has, has basketball done something similar? If they have, I haven't seen it. I think we're trying, I had a conversation with Chris Paul. Me, Chris Paul, and Deion Sanders actually had a conversation last year during COVID. And we were talking about doing some things such as that for basketball. So they got a black college all-star game that they're bringing back, my man, Travis Williams. And Grant Hill is kind of connected to that, right? So Grant is trying to do that as well um, to kind of give these young men the platform, right? To, to be seen. Um, football is a little different because different because there's so many rounds, right? How many rounds is it in football? Six, seven, 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 yep. seven right? So you got seven rounds again. In basketball, you got 60, 60 slots that, that of people that's going to be drafted. They're only going to keep 35. The other 25 is either going to get cut or go to G League overseas or whatever. So out of a million positions, you only got 35 people that you people are really genuinely focused on. So that's the difference between basketball and football. You're more prone to find a diamond in the rough in football, right? Because right. that wide receiver at North Carolina Central may run a 4-240 just like this wide receiver at South Carolina. You follow the difference in football is the trenches, right? The, the bigger guys, right? But the skill positions on the outside, a lot of times, uh, and we see it from the young man, uh, Tariq at A&T, like a lot of times that's kind of even, you know what I'm saying? And you both know, I don't know if you football guys, but that running back success is predicated on that offensive line in front of him. I don't care how nice he is, right? And so now scouts can say, okay, 
if such and such had, if he was running behind the Alabama offensive line, what would he do? They can do that in football, right? Basketball is a little different because it's, it's less people and less spots available. But that conversation has occurred and we're in the makings right now. I, well, not we, but Travis uh, Williams in Grand Hill is in the makings of doing something in Atlanta. And they were going to do it previous year, but COVID happened. Coach, I saw you reposted a picture on Instagram the other day. I, I know you had put it up prior with uh, yourself, Nate McMillan, and uh, P.J. Tucker. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people may not know, you know, you went to high school in the, the Raleigh area, so you've dealt, you know, had your dealings with P.J. Tucker, John Wall, and, and, mm -hmm. and others. But P.J. Tucker and Nate McMillan specifically, your post was to the effect Nate was like your mentor, you were PJ's mentor. So how does it how does it make you feel seeing them? Well, they're gonna be squaring off tonight, but seeing them in the Eastern Conference Finals, just having success, winning, doing it the right way. Like how how does that make you feel as you as you watch them go through the playoffs? Man, it was crazy. And the and the, the reason I posted that picture was to kind of inspire the people in my community. Like don't don't give up hope and believe in yourself, right? Like the problem with people, a, a problem with a lot of our people that come from these underprivileged circumstances, such as I, like, you know, I was originally from Boston, Orchard Park, right? And so we didn't have anything, right? So I couldn't even see anything. And my life changed because New Edition was from my housing project. So I remember when I saw them on Soul Train, and me, Ralph, and Rick stayed in the same building. I lost my mind, right? And then we moved down to Raleigh. And now Nate was 10 years older than me, but I didn't know Nate, right? I knew his family, but I didn't know Nate. And Nate wasn't a superstar to know at that time. Nate just lived in the same neighborhood. PJ, PJ's entire family lived three doors down from me, right? And so every Pop Warner coach, every baseball coach I had, they would be like, man, he remind me of Lil Nate. They would call me Lil Nate. I'm like, who the hell is Lil Nate? You know what I'm saying? And so Nate is older. And I just kept hearing Lil Nate, Lil Nate. And then Nate is with the Supersonics now, right? And I don't know if y'all remember this guy named Xavier McDaniel, X-Man. Yes, I do. Oh, yeah. Nate had a basketball camp and he bought X-Man back. And it was my first time meeting Nate and X. I was like, yo, it was the first time I've ever seen an NBA basketball player up close, right? Like it's you could touch these guys. Like it, it just changed my mind. And Nate took me, like I was at the camp. He let me come for free. He took me outside after the camp and I got like a couple of trophies at the camp and he gave me a hundred dollar bill. It's the first time, this might've been like 86, 87, something. First time I ever seen a hundred dollar bill in my life. Like I lost my mind, right? And he, he, he pulled up in a Mercedes and the license plate had MAC-10 on it, on the back. I was like, oh, he cold. Like, you know, like we kids looking like, yo, you see this guy, all that crazy stuff. And he pulled me in the back. He was like, man, this, here go a hundred dollars. He's like, yo, that's crazy. Thank you. He was like, if you keep doing what you do, you have a lot of these to spend in the, in the, in the future. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So Nate really was the first one to allow me to see it. And then from that point, he started mentoring me. And now when I get to high school, a lot of people don't know, we all got our jerseys retired, but Nate wore number 10. But I wore number 10, too, because my coach was, was Nate's coach. 
And he calling me little Nate. So I was like, man, I might as well wear his numbers, right? So I'm wearing 10. And the reason I changed numbers was my junior year, my best friend collapsed on the floor and he was unable to play anymore. So I wore 22 to honor him. And so after Central, I went up to the Supersonics training camp. That was really because of, a lot of that was because of Nate. He was telling, George Carl was the coach at the time. Terry Stotts was the assistant coach, who's now with, well, used to be with Portland. Uh, Dwayne Casey was the other assistant coach and Tim Gert. And they was like, man, we heard about him and da, da, da. We know he nice. Nate said, you're not getting a better basketball player in the second round. So he got me that opportunity at Seattle. And although I didn't make the team, there were so many uh, European scouts there and that triggered my Europe career. Right. And so <clears throat> years later, when I come back to Raleigh, I don't really know how to give back. I'm just doing what Nate did for me. And now I got my basketball camp and my first basketball camp. And I, I had already known PJ, like, because we were raised by the same coach at the boys club, but here come PJ, here comes John Wall, here comes Devontae Graham, here comes Jerome Robinson. So just our hood has six guys in the NBA right now, just our hood, you know what I'm saying? Not the city. And so I tried to do the same thing for PJ and do what Nate did for me. And when our jerseys was retired, I told him we was dead. We was just laughing and joking. I said, yo, man, like y'all either, Nate, you're either going to coach PJ or you're going to play against them in the finals. They was like, ah, da, da, da. they was just laughing. And the following year, they made a trade to get TJ Warren. TJ Warren is, he's from Durham, but his father's from our hood. He was the first one. And I was like, I'm telling you, man, y'all going to play or coach against each other one day. And so now fate has had it. And that's why I posted the picture. I was like, yo, this is, this is crazy. And the picture went viral. I posted it before, but now mm -hmm. it went viral. ESPN caught on to it and so on and so forth, because I just want people to be able to look at those situations and know the law of attraction, man, if you can believe that, man, you can achieve it. And here's two guys no one really believed in like that. They, when they, they had to go do it and they both did it with a chip on their shoulder. Nate was able to stay in the league as a second round draft pick for 12, 13 years. You see what PJ's doing, right? That's unreal. PJ transformed his entire game. Like he had one scholarship coming out of college. That was UNCW. And, and everybody else was like, they were shaky on him because of his grades. And Frank Hayes from Texas, he was the assistant coach at Texas at the time. He came up to me and was like, man, I need a 6'6 six, six power forward. I said, well, PJ, your guy. He flew down and he was like, man, he only 6'4". I said, well, so what? And he said, well, if we scholarship him, then he got to walk on the following year. I said, what? He said, man, you scholarship that boy. He'll be the best player on your team in two years. In two years, PJ was Big 12 player of the year over LaMarcus, with LaMarcus Aldridge and two more pros on that team, right? Mm -hmm. And so now he's, trans he's transformed his game and tried to find his niche in the NBA. And that's what I admire the most about him because a lot of guys have too much ego to all of a sudden become a defensive quote unquote three and D guy. And now he's out there on national TV guarding the most prolific score this game has ever seen in Kevin Durant. And he's accepting the challenge. Like that's really hard when your family is watching you on national TV for KD to potentially embarrass you every play, but you're still going back at him, going back at him, not running from the challenge. And I was like, man, I, I love you, bro. Like I just admire that part about you because a lot of people don't know your story or Nate's. And he hosted KD when KD took his visit, his official visit to Texas. Yeah, PJ Tucker was his host. <laughs> it's crazy. We on a group chat. And I was like, like they little fight or whatever, you know, they little thing. I was like, man, them boys, like them dudes, 
them dudes like that, man. Like, you see what I'm saying? So I ain't even think nothing of it. But you're right, Pooh. Like, he hosted KD on his visit uh, to Texas, right? And then the crazy thing is, um, my god brother is Raymond Felton. That's my kid's godfather. I had promised Ray in 2005. I was training him, and I was a high school coach. In 2005, I was like, man, if y'all win it, I'll throw you a party, man. He's like, for real? I was like, yeah. So they ended up winning it. I threw him a party. And so I hosted KD on his, KD and Ty Lawson. I hosted KD and Ty when they visited Carolina. And they both came to that party. And they hung out with us or whatever. I knew Ty was coming, but I was like, I don't know if KD coming. But, you know, he was real reserved. So it's crazy to connect all the dots, man, because basketball is just really this big fraternity anyway. Mm-hmm. Coach, you had brought up going overseas, and I saw this morning for we did this that the the new um, mock draft for for the NBA has at least two of the top five guys in the G League ignite. How has that changed the way you guys are, are looking at players, and more so, I guess, the way these kids are looking at their options? There's more options now than ever. You know, I told someone the other day, and it's great that you mentioned that, like. These kids, you know, a lot of people consider them crazy and so on and so forth, right? But they considered our generation crazy and every other generation crazy, right? This generation, I think they're the information age. You know, we needed, we relied on word of mouth or traditional beliefs to serve as our inspiration, right? Or Britannica or some encyclopedias or the Dewey Decimal System. Like they got all the information at their fingertips, it's just a a click of a button. And so what they're realizing is you guys before us, y'all are living by some traditional beliefs, right? We've been taught that in life, if you don't go to school, get a good education and go to college, then you are a failure. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's exactly what we were taught. Now you can go to the war, or the army or, you know, the armed forces or whatever. But if you don't do that, then you will fail, right? And so these kids look at it like, okay, why would, all that's hypocritical because if y'all say an education is the most important thing, then why do y'all pay the educators the least amount of money? You find <laughs> that don't make sense. And so y'all really want me to go to school, pay $30,000 a year, accumulate $120,000 worth of debt, And then upon graduation, I enter a field that's not even in the same major that I went to school for. And now I got to take out another loan to pay back the original loan that and serve in debt the rest of my life and work under somebody else until I'm 65 for all these years. And now when I retire, I'm supposed to enjoy the field. They're like, nah, that's, we're not doing that, right? They're like, we're the talent. The flow is whoever and wherever we go with the brand. These kids got 2.5 million followers in 10th grade already. You follow what I'm saying? So they know the information. The information a couple of years ago was the most watched athlete in America. It wasn't LeBron. It wasn't Tom Brady. It was Zion Williamson, right? And so they like, yo, I'm going to take my talents and align my talent and my brand with something that's beneficial to my talents and my brand and enhance my brand and take care of my family in the process. So I don't need to go to no college and make a college rich because they saw that in the nineties, it just wasn't as loud like with the Fab Five. 
they saw everybody cutting their heads, ball. Everybody did it when, when the Fab Five did it. Then they saw the baggy shorts. Then they saw the black socks. But they knew, like, Chris and Jalen and all them, they didn't reap any of the benefits that they became a cultural phenomenon and got nothing for it. So their sophomore year, they just wore plain blue shirts. Like, a lot of people don't know that with uh, Fab Five. Their warm-up tops, they just wore plain blue shirts because they was it was a silent protest for them. So these kids like, nah, I'm the flow. I'm going to profit off my name, image, and likeness. So why not go to the G League? Because these kids are going pro based off their high school reputations anyway, right? And so why not go to the G League, stay for five months, get $400,000, take care of my family, and come back and get drafted? And all this week, I've been filtering calls from NBA scouts, but a lot of those scouts are calling about kids that we coached in USA Basketball. Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, um, Jeremiah Wortham. Last year was Tyrese Halliburton. That USA team, that was the first, all oh, them going to be lottery picks down there. You see what I'm saying? So, and none of them had even touched school before they were anointed and projected as lottery picks. So they're seeing that and these kids are hip to it. And now they know if I go to school, what happens if I get injured? Who takes care of me? What's the insurance policy? And now they know if I go to school, the longer I stay in school, the more it hurts my draft status. You know what I'm saying? So, right. because now the name of the game is get someone, if someone younger than you can do what you can do, plus one more thing, then you are now expendable, right? And so they're getting 18 year olds to do what they used to pay these 31 year olds to do, right? With, with 13 years of less mileage on it. So. That's the thing, and these kids are understanding that, and they're utilizing all of their options, and they're talking, and they're connecting because it's social media. So now they can really interact with people. When I was young, we couldn't interact with the top players in the nation. I went to Nike camp. It was a top 100 camp. And when I got there, that's the first time I had ever seen Jason Kidd. I was like, damn, you a point guard? Like, that was our first time talking. And he was 6'4", 220 pounds. Like he was the same size he is now. I'm like, yo, what position you play, Pablo? He's like, man, I'm a point guard. And I was like, man. So we had to go to camps. That's the first time I had met Rashid Wallace. I had never seen anyone 6'10 with a 42 inch vertical. You see what I'm saying? And I, it was no mixtapes, no none of that. So you had to really go and interact with people back then. Now these kids can just text each other, get somebody's number from somebody else and say, look, tell such and such to call me. And they're teaming up and, and, and they're, really following what's best for them. And so you've seen it with LaMelo Ball and the Ball brothers when he took mm -hmm. his kids overseas. You've seen it with the G League. And now the G League has formed the alternative league where they're paying these kids. And so if I'm a top kid, it's really a no-brainer. Do you go to school for six months and take some online classes? Or do you go to G League and get this half a million and take care of Big Mom and them and so on? So I'm going to get the half a million, take care of Big Mom and them and say, look, this y'all's. But when I go to the league, that's going to be mine. And that's what it is. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really about creating generational wealth for themselves. And, and they're seeing it first and foremost. Coach, we, before we let you get out of here, I definitely want to um, have you talk about, I know every year you do um, something for mothers. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's a brunch. Is it awards as well? Yes, sir. A, yes, sir. a brunch and awards for mothers. Can you just talk about your inspiration behind that? What led you to that and what keeps it going for you? Yeah, it's my um, my Vail Cares Foundation. Um, you know, like most people, 
when they have a foundation, they just put their name on something and let everyone else operate, right? And I was like, nah, it's not gonna be that. Everything about my foundation is gonna be deeply related and interpersonal to me. And so I just saw the struggles. You know, I grew up with a single mom. My dad left when he, when I was four and he walked out the house and like my mom was like, yo, he gone and he ain't coming back. So it was kind of taboo to even speak on him you know, in our home, right? Because we dealing with the pain of my brother and I, we dealing with the pain of my father not being there, my mom dealing with the pain of her man not being here. And not only that, he done left us in the project. So it was just a mess. And I saw every single day, you know, I was too young to fully understand, but I don't know how close you guys are with your moms, but you know instantly when your mom walk in that door, every day was if she had a good day or a bad day mm -hmm. if she's under stress and duress or is she jubilant right she can't hide it right because they always say boy you can't hide your feelings from me because i carried you for nine months and i always say you can't hide your feelings from me because you carried you know i was inside of you for nine months so it's it's a connection and i saw my mom just like like struggling and i was like man i don't I don't ever want any woman to feel this. And no one would listen to them. They didn't have a platform. No one cared. It was just, yo, you struggling, figure it out. And so I got a single mother salute where every year I honor 150 single moms uh, in the Triangle community. And it's an amazing event, man. It's a red carpet event. Um, we got a dinner um, for them. They take the red carpet, they take the pictures, and it's kind of like a prom style feel. And then we play all these incredible games. And we play games that my mom really liked. My mom used to love bingo and stuff like that. And so we mix up like some games of bingo, some games of like Family Feud, some Jeopardy, some karaoke. And I give away over $40,000 worth of prizes. So we give away gift cards, um, appliances, Best Buy is a, a sponsor. Um, I gave every woman uh, a laptop and computer so they could take home to their kids so that those kids could keep up with modern day technology. Uh, we gave away vacations. Um, we give away cars, like, you know, because in all the awards are named after my mom and she's present, right? And so the awards are like mother courage, mother love, mother perseverance and so on and so forth. And what happens is each woman su uh, submits an essay to me, or like a page or whatever, on why they should be named single mother of the year. And the only, it's, it's extremely confidential and they can say whatever they wanna say. And the only people that read it is, is my mom and I. And Pooh, when I tell you, man, like those stories are so, you'll cry reading these, these stories. You know what I'm saying? It's like, because it's almost their way of just saying, nobody's ever asked me, so let me vent mm -hmm. right here. And, I'm like, yo, so I, if there was one woman, for instance, who worked extremely hard, but she just couldn't keep a job because she never had reliable transportation. So every time her car would get up and run and she had four kids, she had to drop off or whatever, whatever, and her car would break down. And her boss would be like, one more time, I gotta let you go, da, 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 da. And she just kept getting fired because that, that was all she had. And she, she, you know, she could only afford the mechanic and you know what kind of mechanic it was. Oh yeah. Doombug, everybody uncle, and, you know? And so I read that story. And so we went out and got her a minivan, 
that woman sends me a picture of that minivan every two months saying, thank you, coach bless you. And when I presented it to her, like she just, she, I could feel the emotion, like the, like it, she just almost collapsed. Like she's like this for me and so on. I was like, yeah, this, this is real. And she just cried. Like everybody in the place was crying. And so we got a guest speaker for them um, every year. And, um, you know, we just want them to forget about the pressures of the world for that day, man, and, and let them know, like, there's some beautiful things. Because the thing about single mothers, they always suppress their wants so everybody else's needs could be fulfilled, right? And so we tell them, you can't bring your children, you can't bring nobody. Today is all about you. You know what I'm saying? I don't want you focusing on nobody but you. So it's their first time being at the house. And it ranges from, like, 22-year-olds to 65-year-olds. Like, it's, 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 a, it's a huge you know, uh, demographic of individuals that come, man. And it's, it's, it's one of the best things and most gratifying things that, that I do is, is bigger and better than any basketball game that I can win. Although championships are nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, coach, man, we thank you for your time. We appreciate your time this morning. Uh, let people know where they can find you dropping, dropping your basketball knowledge. Yes, sir, man. Um, on every Facebook, social, uh, Instagram, and Twitter, it's Lavelle Moton, L-E-V-E-L-E-M-O-T-O-N. I ain't really mastered the Snapchat and TikTok and all that stuff yet, but Either I'm Lavelle Moton <laughs> everywhere else, man, so it's good. And I want to say thank you guys for having me, and Pooh, you know it's always love, and Absolutely. man, I so much love and respect for you, and you know, Tay, and, and obviously Ninth, my, my brother, man, like what y'all have done for, I don't think y'all receive um, the necessary flowers that you should receive for impacting the culture in the way that you have, from the production side of it, from the lyrical side of it, from the influence, from the singing on hooks, you know, like it's, you've influenced this generation of new age rappers, man. And it's, it's when I heard, what up, little bro? What up, Slum V? I lost it. I ran straight <laughs> out the door. I was like, yo, that's that's it right there, man. So enough respect to you because I'm all about giving everyone their flowers. Thank you. Why they here and truly deserve it. So love and respect to you, fam. Thank you. I appreciate it. Once you know again, that. thank you for your time, coach. Thank you, coach. We appreciate you. No, appreciate you reaching out. Have, don't, don't, don't go crazy tonight watching Nate and Nate and PJ. So that's wild. Yes, indeed. No doubt. Who y'all got winning it all? The Suns when CP3 get back. It, Doug, it would be nice to see a Suns Hawks finals. I mean, energy through the roof. Yeah, that's that's gonna be good. It'll be good for the city of Atlanta. I'm I'm cheering for Chris too, man. At this point, I'm a Celtics fan. So at this point, I'm just cheering for people I know, man. So and, and if the Hawks don't wait, want Nate McMillan, we got a job in D.C. that is a wait. Sure do. And sure they still do. named them. They still have them as interim, too, which is good for him. Because yep. while it's interim, that means that the check is still blank out there. There's 28 more teams out here that would love you right now. So. It, 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 seven in particular without head coaches. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, and, and, and the other ones will get rid of their coach to get him. That's how that game works. So. Very quickly. It's all very love, quick. man. I'm, I'm actually, before I let you go, I'm I'm actually happy, very, very happy for Nate because I feel he shouldn't have been let go in Indiana. 
And to see him, I know he didn't want the opportunity this way, but to see him get that opportunity in Atlanta and the job he's done in Atlanta, I'm I'm I can't do nothing but cheer for for Nate and the Hawks. And Pooh, let me real fast. Let me tell you how he did it, though. Let me tell you the cloth that he's cut from. And this is just our upbringing. He didn't want to accept the assistant coaching job initially in Atlanta. And then Lloyd convinced him to come along. I don't know if you know this, but Grant Hill is co-owner of the Hawks. Right. Right. And so I'm like, gee, like he'll he'll come over there and help him, blah, blah, blah. So Nate ends up being assistant coach. And then when Lloyd got fired, they asked him to be the interim coach. Nate said, I'm I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. He reached out to Lloyd to receive permission. You follow what I'm saying? And Lloyd was like, nah, you go ahead and do that. Because Nate wasn't going to do it without his permission. And that's what's lost the morals and values in this game when there's so much money. People just start, it's a it's a rat race to get, mm-hmm. get a bag. But he was like, nah, I ain't even about that. If that man, I worked under that man, that man gave me an opportunity. And if he says, if he feels any type of way about it, I'm not accepting it. And, and much respect to Lloyd, he said, Nate, go ahead and do it. And now what you're seeing is a result of that, man. So that's that's the backstory to it. That's that's the love. And I appreciate that because the loyalty in this business, that don't happen no more. I I, I know it doesn't. <laughs> I know it <laughs> doesn't. don't happen no more. Somebody <laughs> said, they out. They going to Eddie Kane you to death. Now you <laughs> absolutely so no doubt man so it's love I appreciate you there guys definitely having me on absolutely thank you coach have a good one